scripture. We're going to read a number of verses beginning at verse 1 of the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. We are making a very hurried trip, and a hard trip this week, to see my mother, who's in her 80s, and who has been paralyzed, and who keeps asking each day when her preacher boy is coming it's going to be my privilege perhaps the Lord lets her stay with us until we get there on Thursday perhaps it will be my privilege to sit at the bedside of my mother in the flesh and let her preach to me. I've had some experiences like that. <clears throat> my wife received a letter this week that her father, way out in California, is perhaps sick unto death. Somehow or another, been thinking about this business of death this week. About the contrast in the Word of God between the death of a believer and the death of an unbeliever. Our text is the 11th verse of that chapter. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth but I go to awaken out of his sleep. Our Lord is talking about physical death here. We're familiar with the fact that Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, so Christ came once in the end of the age to do some things about men and far men who have a red letter 
day of appointment to meet, and then one after that. The very breast of every human being, says the prophet Daniel, is in the hands of God. But our Lord, in this play on words in the Gospel of John, at least gives us room to say this, that in the sense the world understands death, my Lord will not admit that his people will die. He will admit they'll fall on sleep. But bless God, the Bible from cover to cover, by precept and sign and plain statement, tells us that they die or sleep waiting the hour when the Lord shall wake them again. Sometimes I like to storm and warn, sometimes plead, sometimes to instruct. Tonight I just want to rejoice a little bit with you who are God's people. And trust by God's grace that some of the rejoicing might be a challenge or if you need it, or rebuke if you need it, or encouragement if you need it, if you are without hope in this world and the world come. The Bible says that awaiting the unbeliever is the second death. The Bible says that awaiting the believer is sleep. The Bible says that awaiting the unbeliever is a death in your sin. For the believer is to fall on sleep. Tonight, if the Lord will enable me, I wanted to give you five blessed truths that grow out of this scripture our friend Lazarus sleepeth, and I go to awaken. <clears throat> you may think that I just try and be a little pious when I said that I'm looking forward to my mother preaching to me and giving me a word of encouragement, but I am. <clears throat> you need to kid me. Death is a friend and an enemy. And we are more acquainted with its enmity than its friendship. God knows what he's doing. He's so constructed us that we love life. And we dread the cessation of it as we know it here on this earth. But I found that as I've talked with people who've known the Lord a long time, and as they come up in the big numbers of years, past four score, I found that they've got a word for us younger people. I found that the God who gives grace to live, I don't know this by experience, I know it by experience of others, gives grace to die. In the Bible, what we call death and the Lord calls sleep his harmless for one of his own. There is nothing in death to cause fear for a child of God. It is wonderful that the scriptures teach us that the Lord has removed the sting of death. It can't sting you if you're one of his own. Now, as a boy, we used to try to trap yellow jackets, things like that, and take the stinger out. And I was told then if you did, they would die. They had no other reason for existence. I don't know whether that's so or not. But our Lord did do this for death, in the case of death, for every believing child of God. 
He took everything out of what we call physical death that can hurt, that can sting, that can cause us to fear. It has no power to hurt the child of God. Thank God. Some years ago, we accepted a call to come to Winston-Salem, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to work with Piedmont School as evangelist, part-time teacher. We stored our furniture and sold our little home and uh, left Tulsa, drove down to Oak Mulgee, Oklahoma, 40 miles away, and spent the night with Mr. and Mrs. R.A. Bazell. That name means nothing to you, but my wife's a half-orphan when she's about two and a half to three. Her mother died, and she went to live with her uncle, her mother's brother, and lived with them all her girlhood. She came to know them as mother and father, even though her father, far away, was still alive and still is. Brother Basel was a deacon in the first congregation I ever served as under shepherd. He was a godly man. He's the type of fellow that usually did the praying for the congregation. Would you know what I'm talking about when I say he had what the old timers said unction in prayer? God had given him a gift that doesn't give many. Like we asked somebody to lead us in prayer, we try to pray with you. He was able to lift us up and bring us into the attitude of prayer, at unction in prayer. I married into the family. He followed us all over America in the field of evangelism with his prayer. Then he retired a terribly bad heart condition. Bought him a little two and a half acre track out from Oak Mulga. And we went by to see him and stay all night. The next morning before we got in the car to head out for Tulsa, about nine or ten years ago now, something like that, he said, Ralph, let's take a little walk. I regarded him almost as a father because my father's been gone many, many years. And he regarded me as a son. They never had blood children of their own. We went out to the little farm where he kept a cow and calf. You boys quit cutting now and listen to the priest. And he said, Rob, I want to have a little talk with you. He said, I'll never see you again. He said, y'all going way off into North Carolina. He said, this old ticker of mine is going to tick for its last time just any day. And he said, you'll be busy and I'll be gone from this earth before you get back. And he said, I just want to talk to you a little bit. Tell you how I loved you. How I tried to pray for you. How I followed you. How much you've come to mean to me. We had a good time. And I said, Uncle, oh, he's called him Uncle. I said, Tell me, how is it with you? With your old bad heart? It's a little more sensible to you than it is to most of us. We just can't figure out we're ever going to die. Now, other people die, but not us. You just can't sit down and think about your own death to save your life. You just can't do it. Now, other people, we pass cemetery and we know that this is a dying world, but not for ourselves. I said, how is it with you? 
Is there any fear? Is there any dread? Is there any loss, a sense of loss? If I live to be a million years, I'll never forget what that humble child of God said, son. He said, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. He said, the Lord's been good to me. I don't think he'd just be in pious hours. He'd leave to get that old. A lot of this foolishness is gone. He said, Rob, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see my Lord. There ain't anything about death that can hurt a child of God. But for the unbeliever, death is a fearful thing. If the Bible speaks truly, and it does, death introduces the unbeliever to that fearful place whose air is filled with the gnashing of teeth and the wailing of men's voices. Oh, if my Lord acted to ransack heaven's glory and for men because they've got to die. Because they've got to come to the judgment. A man would do well if he could to quiet himself and face the question, how shall I die? How shall I die? You'll not do an unsaved man any harm do that. It'll not be lost time, I tell you. How shall I die? The Bible pictures what the world calls death and the Lord calls sleep as a welcome relief after the day of labor has come to a close. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They shall rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Blessed are the dead. They shall rest from their labors. Death is a portal. It's the elevator from this scene of sin to a paradise of bliss. The Apostle Paul says to die is gain. To die is gain. Persecution, the lot of God's people, divided households, father against son, son against father, the lot of God's people. Very few of you, if any, can escape that. Very few of you, if any, do not have blood kin, close blood kin, enemies of God, haters of the grace of God, contradiction of sinners. I preached a lot in the north. I think it's getting about that bad in the South. Years ago, went to hold my first meeting in New York City. I was utterly amazed at the crowds. They just had to seat certain people at night. Pastors say, now you folks, you'll not come back tomorrow night. Other people come. Give them a seat. I was amazed at the young people there by the multiplied hum. Some of us went down to the drugstore after service one night and I said to some of the young people, How is it so many of you flock out to the services? One quiet spoken, fine looking young man said, Brother Barnum, 
In New York City, there's just two places to go, to God's house or to hell. I don't see much other, much difference. Winston-Salem in New York City. I remember the first time I held a meeting in Detroit, Michigan, the late the automobile city. I began to get acquainted with humble men who worked in the factories. They began to tell me something of what was up against. It was in the days when communism was threatening to take over the labor organizations, doing its best. In the days of the Black Legion, in the days when they'd break your arm, do anything to make you join up. Those godly men told me that the only way a Christian man could pursue his trade in a factory was to take a Bible along with him. He said, you'll need it in the factory. He said, when the communists come and spit at you and curse you, he said, what they want you to answer them back. He said, we found the only thing that keeps us going is when they start that. We reach over and get our testament, bury our face in it. The contradiction of sin. This old ungodly world. Sleep for the believer is a welcome relief from that. A.D. Mews used to tell of T.T. Martin. He never had but two kinds of beating. He'd always go to a town way back yonder. And the first service, he'd outline his program of the gospel, declare war. This is it, he would say. He either left town with multitudes blessed, carry him down like a king to the train, wave their handkerchiefs at him, saying, Hold the fort for I'm coming. Or he'd leave a town under police escort to keep the enraged church people from taking his life. Many a time, Brother Mule said T.T. T. Martin make the train by the grace of God and the skin of his teeth. Said Whatever it was, blessing or cursing, old T.T. Martin, get on that train, stand on the steps. While the people sang to him, he'd wave his handkerchief to enemies or friends, and sing on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land, where my possessions lie. T.T. Martin came to his death on the second floor of the Baptist Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi. He told me, Rob, he said nothing ever happened in Mississippi like that. He said it took the old man about a half a day to die. He said every floor woman, every scrub woman, every doctor, Every intern, every nurse, every patient that could walk or crawl or be carried crowded up on that old second floor to listen to T.T. Martin die. They said it's, he said his thin, piercing voice. I had the honor of hearing the old man. His thin, piercing voice carried through the corridors of that old hospital old T.T. Martin died singing, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go? Died singing. Died singing. 
But for the unbeliever, death is the entrance into that place of eternal torment. Torment! I've examined the word. Restless. Torment! No rest for the wicked by day or by night as eternity rolls into eternity. It wouldn't do you any harm, my dear friend, in this religious world that knows not holiness of life or Christ alive. In this world when men's thoughts are upon everything else except God and the things of eternity. It wouldn't do you any harm. Try to sit down for a minute face question. How will I die? How will I die? The Bible says that for the believer, death is asleep and he lies down to rise up again. John 5, 25, 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. They that hear shall live. My Lord said, I'm coming my rewards with me. The believer lies down to await the resurrection morning when his Lord shall awake him. When his Lord shall awake him. In our young life, Mrs. Barnard and I sat where you are sitting as they brought the casket with the body of our firstborn into the little big tabernacle style church house where I minister. Another minister stood up and I preached what they call a funeral sermon. We were young. We'd had our youngsters three and a half years. And now we didn't have her. They wheeled the casket out, put it in the hearse, and we followed it to a cemetery. And they lowered the casket, put the flowers on, sent us home. Wouldn't let us stay. They didn't want to hear clots falling on the caskets of the body of our baby. We had the funeral in the morning that afternoon. Wife and I slipped away and went out to the cemetery. Already the flowers beginning to wilt under the sun. As that little mound covered with flowers, we knelt on either side. And through our tears, the woman, or something about the feminine sex, apprehends truth like this that we old men don't know about. My girl bride, the ref mother, said, It's all right, Rob. Patty Sue in here. She's with the Lord. She's with the Lord. That's so, dear one. That's so. That's so. She's asleep, waiting for the time. When the one who said our friend Lazarus sleepeth, and I go to wake him, shall speak. And she'll awake. She'll awake. 
But for the unbeliever, he dies to be raised under eternal punishment. To receive in his body and his soul the death, vengeance of the Holy God forever and ever. It'll do you good, my own safe friend. In this day of many doctrines and many beliefs and many everything, except many hearts that face facts and stare out into the future and probe truths, it'll do you good. Solemnly face the question how shall I die? Die you must! Die you must! How? In the Bible, death or sleep for the believer fits the body for the duties of the next day. I love sometimes just for my own heart's blessing to turn over to the 22nd chapter of the Revelation and read not try to learn anything just read it at verse 1 and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life spared twelve manner fruits and yielded their fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and the Greek word of that his servants his willing loving bond slaves who found their meat to serve him down here got a little taste of it bless the Lord they'll spend eternity doing two things first serving him and second beholding him verse 4 and they shall see his face why sleep for the believer death for the believer is like sleep for the body you work hard all day and then you sleep at night and you're all ready to go the next day. And that's what death is for the believer. Just fix you up to serve him and behold him and to see his face. I preached my own father's funeral service, sang a solo at the service of his request, sang the pearly white city. I had a blessed time preaching my father's funeral, singing solo. I tell you, I had such a good time. My father died while I was on a train trying to get from Fort Worth, Texas, while I was in school, to Alabama. And I got to Mother's home about midnight and greeted the loved ones who were there pretty soon. My mother said, Son, you want to come with me? And she led me and opened my door and said, Go in. I went in, she shut the door and left me there. And over in the corner was a casket and I went over. First thing I saw was the lock of cool black hair that always curled here. And then I stood there in amazement. I'd read much in the Old Testament about the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord. I read about some people when my Lord was here on earth who were given sight that enabled him to see God 
when they saw somebody was just like a man and only a man, they beheld his glory. They beheld his glory. They said, that's God. And that glory, that glory was on the face of my old dad. I'd see it now. My wife didn't get to go. I wished a million times. We could have borrowed some more money, enough for her to go. We were struggling in school. I left with have seen it. Why, a man couldn't preach enough sermon and prove enough facts if he had ten million years to do it, to undo what I saw on my dad's face. After a while, when I could get Mother alone, I said, Mother, what? what took place. She said, what do you mean, son? I said, you know, Dad's face. The undertaker couldn't take it out. The draining of the blood couldn't take it out. The embalming. The glory of God settled on his countenance. He stayed. Well, she said, son, I knew he was going to ask me. And said it happened after this wise. Said about an hour before Dad went on, he uh, <clears throat> began to call the children in one by one, and uh, he gave them a special blessing, greeting, like old Jacob did his boy. <clears throat> said to. Uh, because you was his preacher boy. He saved you for the last, and you weren't there. But Lovis, my older brother, uh, he went in. My dad couldn't see with these eyes good. His face was all swelled up. He never knew the difference. My brother took my place. Mother said, Dad, said, Ralph, my preacher boy, never got to hear you preach. Then he made his request about me singing at his funeral. And then he said, Ralph, Ralph, be true to the cross. And then he dismissed me. And Mother said after he told all the children goodbye, everybody said that just the two of us were left alone. Said we made love like we did when we court the glad glory of time. And said after a while, Dad, still in this world, made a little trip into the next one. And said that look, that shine came on his face. And Dad began to say, Mother, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And Mother said, what, Dad? Oh, he said, it's so beautiful. What, Dad? But all he'd say, oh, it's so beautiful. That spreading glory of God. You know what was different? You know what was? He saw his face. That song, we'll not have cross Jordan alone, wasn't just a song, it's so. That promise, I'll never leave you, no, never, no, never leave you, not forsake you, so. On that cross, he saw his face. And just to see his face is for the glory of him who shall lighten the new Jerusalem so the need no light thereby. Settled on my dad's face. And that's the way it'll be in glory. Just well, dear folks. Sure will. My, they had the casket open. Time or two, I folded a little bit. My little message, and I looked down and see that glory. See that glory. Oh, heart shells, free willers, and the rest of you, listen to me. Listen to me. 
the believer will see his face. We'll see his face. We'll see his face. And we'll serve him. Because that's all this life is. Just try and learn how to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. We'll know the song. You've heard me tell it. I tell it again. The cold. Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, please do so. Faithful finally makes it. Gets up to the gates and gains entrance. He's had for a long journey. He's met lots of disappointments and a lot of encouragement. He makes it. Said so as he got inside, he heard such singing he'd never heard in all his life. Oh, he said, wonderful. He said he looked and there was the choir of glory singing. He said he began to walk toward that great heavenly choir. The closer he got to it, the more beautiful the singing was. He said he spied an empty seat in the choir of glory said he kept walking pretty soon he could see some letters written on the seat and he wondered what the letters were he kept walking pretty soon he could see it was the letters of somebody's name and he kept walking and he saw that it was his name and he said I went up and took my seat and began to sing and I didn't Miss a note. I knew the tune had been practicing on it. Down here on my pilgrim journey. And in the heaven at Jerusalem, the saints of God will join in singing the song of Moses, the children of the law. And the Lord Jesus that healed them through his blood. And will never miss a note I'll never miss a note for the unbeliever he'll not serve him he didn't down here he'll not see his face he never beheld it down here all he'll do is sit on 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 that's the prospect for the unbelievers I used to serve a little church at Alvord, Texas while I was going to Southwestern Seminary trying to get something had an old man there was the old man the town rake he showed the result of his life of sin and his face and his countenance everywhere he never missed the service he heard me preach about every time I preached we'd have special meetings he'd be right there he'd come to see me about every weekend we'd drive out from school to minister and in the summertime he'd come to see me often sit down and listen to me preach he believed everything I preached used to come and say, boy, preach on. The preach harder than you ever did before. He said, I know what I'm talking about. He said, I no hope for me. Never could get him change his tune. He died in that shape. He said, I'll tell you one thing you can tell people. There comes a time even in this life when the pleasures of sin turn into the torments of hell. That's right. And if they'll do it in this life, think what hell will be if that which no longer tastes good is the only occupation of people throughout eternity. There's some excuse, I guess, for sinning in the flush of youth or the prime of manhood or womanhood. Some pleasure, the Bible says there is. But there's none even for you when you get old in this life. And the only prospect the unbeliever has is eternity. Doing that which he himself hates. 
from which he'll never be delivered. It'd pay you, my friend, to consider how you shall die. There are just two ways to die. Die in your sins. Die in your sins. Or to die in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. My mother used to sing a chorus time of her life when we kids were coming up. I guess it was her favorite. She'd be going about the chores of the house. You'd hear her singing. I think most of the time she perhaps wasn't conscious she was singing. She'd sing that old old song you've heard many times go something like this. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going home to sin no more. To testimony tonight like you are right now your present relationship to the Lord are you willing to die in the shape you're in now would you be afraid how would you fix it how many of you believe that if you die for my old mother that's paralyzed to be well with your soul let me see your hand let's just let that devil see it way up high Thank you. How many of you with eyes closed and heads bowed, not ready, not willing, you wouldn't want to die in the shape you're in tonight? You're honest about it. You'd be afraid to die. If you had any idea, you're facing death, to stand right in the face, you'd be scared. You're not ready. You don't know the Lord. Your sins are not under the blood. Your sins are not under the blood. How many of you, with head bowed and eyes closed, honest enough to tell me that tonight? Just lift your hand. I won't say. You see? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. come to him it means look to him look away from yourself put all your dependence on him make absolute surrender to him I can't tell you what those things mean the spirit will have to but I know that people who want to know him can know him we can help you after the service instead of going to the back door if you walk up and say preacher I'm not ready to leave here tonight went out that door into the darkness of the night might go out to the darkness of the eternal night we could pray with you instruct you help you we'd be delighted to we can't save you but we are interested in you remember our special needs the offering tonight you visit with us please do not hurry out let our people get acquainted with you tell you they're glad you came to visit us invite you to come as the Lord leads you our father here's a man not ready to die God speak to him deal with him 
Christ is in reach of his faith if he could. Oh, God, that he'd lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ, him only, is our prayer. And for others here who are on their road to a Christless grave and an eternal hell, but they are absolutely unaware of what to face. We remember the time we were in that shape. We pray thy continued mercy upon them. Keep them out of hell, Lord. Dig around them by thy wonderful mercy and grace. For we ask it in the name of him who took the sting out of death for everyone who is able to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in his blessed name. Amen. Dismiss. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.